if you're a believer, is it okay to doubt God? We discuss this and more with special guest Dominic Doan on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking peoples, thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, faithful skeptic, and with me as always is my skeptically sanctified co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and uh, someone who is, is proud and has found the benefit of being a skeptic mm. and doubter. Ooh, very good. Very, uh, very on topic. And with us today- As I do. On that, yes, yes. On uh, that note is a very special guest. He is a speaker, podcast host, and author of the book, When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt, a professor of applied theology at George Fox University and a teacher at Westside at Jesus Church with a master's degree in theology from the University of Oxford, and is currently working on his PhD in evolutionary theology from the University of Oxford, currently working at um the odyssey excuse me yes yes <laughs> oh man i now now somebody can put a compilation together of the mistakes i've made in these bios <laughs> um we like with, uh, raw authentic uh yes. live tv here <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and uh, finally he is the founder and host of the pursuing faith ministry and podcast which are focused on equipping christians ministry leaders and churches to successfully navigate culturally pertinent issues relating to faith doubt and apologetics he is the daring, the dashing, the dangerous, <laughs> Dominic Dunn. Dominic, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, what an intro. <laughs> we specialize that yes. here, for sure. <laughs> At least Joseph does. I just for lay five, back and don't do anything. For $5.99, you can have your own. <laughs> you follow yeah. you around everywhere. Did you say that? Daring and dashing. And, yeah, and, and dangerous. dangerous. Yes. Hopefully not depressing. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe today we'll after this out. episode, we we'll see. The night is young. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we're very glad to have you on, sir. Uh, it's been, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, it's an honor. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to this conversation. Same. Um, and anyway, before we get started, we are going to be talking about faith and doubt here. But before we get started, Nathan. If people do enjoy this discussion and are not depressed by it, um, where can they go to uh, engage more with our content and find other overthinkers like themselves? They can go to theoverthinkersjournal.com where they can find out more about their hosts and our episodes and they can send us all of their love and hate mail. Yes, we enjoy both. <laughs> uh, they can also find out there about any upcoming events like we have an Oscars party that's going to be held at the Hepzibah House in New York City. We want to see you there. We love connecting like-minded people. We're going to have a lot of fun eating popcorn and uh, playing games to see who guessed the right amount or the most amount of uh, Oscar winners. So please show up for that. It's going to be in March. We'd love to see you there. Um, and also you can join our online community on Facebook. It's a private group full of ten over 10,000 overthinkers like yourself um, who love having fun, thinking deeply, and mostly just sharing and laughing at memes. So <laughs> please uh, head on over to the Facebook group. And if you do enjoy the podcast, Podcast, please consider leaving a review and sharing with a friend. It really does help us so very much. All right. Everyone ready to get started? Let's do it. Great. Let's do it. All right. So uh, faith and doubt are often pitted against each other in discussions of either one. Famous atheist Sam Harris once said, faith is a reason why you don't have to give a reason for what you believe. According to Merriam-Webster, faith means, among other things, allegiance to duty or a person, firm belief in something for which there is no proof, belief in God, complete trust, or something that is believed especially with strong conviction, 
while doubt means to call into question the truth or to lack confidence in something. So you can see why people would see these two things as opposed. However, the data shows that among those who claim to hold religious faith, faith and doubt very often go hand in hand. According to a study by Barna Group, two-thirds of self-identified Christians claim to have doubts or to have had experienced doubts about their faith at some point during their Christian walk. Millennials currently experience about twice as much doubt as other generation groups. Men are more likely than women to actively experience doubt. Those who have gone through college and encountered an array of ideas, philosophies, and worldviews are twice as likely to experience doubt as those who have a high school education or less. So doubt is clearly a growing part of many Christians' lives. Some Christians see doubt as a negative thing in the life of believer, seeing it as a predictable precursor to unbelief. Pastors regularly remind their congregation that the first thing that the serpent did to tempt mankind was to get them to question God. Others Christians argue, on the contrary, that questioning God usually amounts to uh, that not questioning God usually amounts to not questioning your particular pastor's interpretation of God, and therefore embracing doubts can have what can about what you've been given can be taught, can be uh, lead you to a more authentic faith. So, Dominic, do you see doubt mm. as primarily a bad thing or a good thing in the life of a religious person? And uh, what led you to come to your uh, beliefs on that subject? Well, I mean, I think doubt can be a really good thing um, if it's processed in a healthy way. Um, for me personally, I went through a season of doubt deconstruction um, a number of years ago uh, when we lived in England and I was doing some research. P big part of my first degree was on um, atheism. So mm. that's going to open up all kinds of doors uh, when it comes to questioning one's faith. But um, the Bible is full of people who went through seasons of doubt, who, who ask gritty, raw, uncensored questions. Um, you look at the book of Psalms, how long, O Lord, my yeah. God, my God, why? You know, have you abandoned me? David said in Psalm 22. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and so I think as as, as believers, um, I think doubt is part of the process of growth. Um, it doesn't always mean that it can be processed in a healthy way. Maybe we'll get hmm. back to that. But I just look at the the concept of doubt. Um, and you, you just, you know, do a quick Google search on it. It just means a feeling of uncertainty or, hmm. you know, to quote the truth or fact of something. Um, if you look at the, the history of the term, it comes from a Latin word, dubitare, uh, which simply means two. So a person who doubts is, is kind of in this place of, of two minds where maybe you're being drawn in one direction, mm. but then there's a part of you too, maybe your background, your history, your theology, your church, your family, your upbringing, environment, whatever, um, that's still clinging on to, to certain ideas about God or your faith. And so there's a sense of dividedness, a sense of two-ness. Um, I, I think of Oz Guinness, who wrote a brilliant book on doubt back in the 80s. He, he said that you know, this sense of two-ness is the heart of doubt. It's the deepest mm. dilemma it presents. Um, and we often look, you know, think of the word dividedness uh, as a negative thing, or some will turn to the book of James. And, you know, James says the man who doubts is like a man who's tossed on the waves of the sea going back and forth. But I, I would say that's actually just part of being human, <laughs> that uh, when you experience something that goes contrary to what you've learned uh, or some theology or whatever, of course, it's going to create some tension. In fact, I, I would actually argue that those who have the strongest faith often experience the, the strongest doubts. Mm. Um, and so doubt, I think, can be a very good thing. I think it means that you know we're growing, we're evolving, we're learning, we're changing, we're adapting, we're morphing, and we're really wanting our faith to be our own. Mm. That's, that's really interesting. I love... <sighs> 
I love what you said about doubt being the pr- a part of the process, because I think a lot of us has this, mm-hmm. this idea and this conception that doubt is this whole other thing than our faith. And it's an interesting interesting way to hear it uh, uh, articulated that doubt is actually part of the faith process. And before I jump in and kind of give my my thoughts, <laughs> um, I wanted to, uh, to go to our community, our online community. We took a poll. Yeah. And Joseph, you asked, uh, for people who consider yourself religious now or at one time, have your doubts about your faith weakened your faith, strengthened your faith, or caused you to leave your faith? And um, 90% of the Christians in our small group, mm-hmm. or at least people of faith, um, said that doubt actually increased uh, their, uh, it bolstered their faith, it built it. And I also want to read one of the comments that was left by a friend of the show, Zahari. Uh, she said, as a Christian, doubts strengthened my faith because they encouraged me to ask mm-hmm. questions. Questions, and questions often lead to answers or growth. And that kind of goes back to Dominic to what you were saying about doubt is actually a part of the process to understanding, connecting with and, and having a relationship with God, because doubt includes, as Zahori mm-hmm. said, it includes question. And when you question mm-hmm. something, um, you're testing it. You are, you are in relation to it. My mom always had a great quote that I, I remember for the rest of my life. And it was when I was a, a small kid and I remember going to her and I, you know, I think I was maybe about eight years old. And I said, mom, I have something mm. to confess to you. And I said, I, I don't know if I believe in God. And you, if, if you know my family, we are a Christian family. We're a well-known Christian family. And so, you know, you can imagine that a, a kid might be scared to ask his parents. My dad's a pastor. My mom's a, a, a religious writer and speaker. And I will always remember her response. And she said, that's okay. Doubt wow. your faith, doubt God, wrestle with God. And, and she said, because when you wrestle with God, wrestling is a full contact sport. Mm-hmm. And so I always really, that was really meaningful to me. And throughout the times of my life, when I have doubted or struggled or, um, or fought with God, I, to have that encouragement, to have people around me say, no, no, press in, keep on doubting, yeah. wrestling, whatever it might be. At the end of every one of those moments of doubt, I have found my faith, my relationship mm-hmm. with God strengthened and you know i will provide more maybe some little more data insight as to maybe why that comes about and joseph obviously i know you're bursting at the seams to give (laughs) some of those studies (laughs) (laughs) but this the concept of doubt is actually one very important to me because it's been such like i don't know that i would want to have a faith that didn't include doubt um because it has been such a um, beautiful part of making my faith stronger and more full. And so as I look back, I'm so glad that I have had those moments of doubt, even though they were very difficult. And one thing I want to say here is when we talk about doubting God, and then I'll let you jump in, Joseph, but we have this concept of just doubting his existence, right? We kind of think of the atheist versus theist debate. But one of the things I find is a rising um, uh, category in the, quote, doubting of God. And this is one I, I find myself in, isn't so much doubting the existence of God. I think, you know, if you look at the statistics, most people believe in some sort of deity. Yeah, They believe in some sort of spirit or something out there. Uh, atheism Higher is actually power. a minority. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, the thing I've struggled with most in my life isn't the belief in God. I, yeah. I, I guess for whatever reason, I've always believed it's hard for me not to, to look at nature, to look at, you know, all the apologetic stuff we learned many years ago, uh, the fine tuning of the universe. I I see God evidence for a God. What I doubt is God's goodness. Does God Mm. like me? Is God good? Is he trustworthy? And that's where I find myself returning to when I doubt. And um, so that's just another kind of angle to this that we can start thinking about when we doubt God. Yes, we can doubt his existence. We can also doubt 
things about him. Is he good? Mm-hmm. Is he faithful? Mm-hmm. So Joseph, please jump in with your <laughs> thoughts and, and we'll keep yeah. this rabbit hole going. No, I mean, again, I, I think what's what's interesting about this uh, is how personal a lot of this is. Again, all of us describe ourselves as very like strong Christians um, and, you know, uh, uh, Dominic's made a career out of it, you know, so it's um, and but we also have deeply struggled with doubts and and those doubts can often come in the form of like real pain. I, I remember yeah. that. When I was a teenager, I had kind of a couple double whammies that happened to me. Like one is that, you know, like my dad lost his job, you know, and mm-hmm. and another and then I was starting to get involved in kind of like reading a lot more things, you know, on my mm-hmm. own that my parents weren't supervising. And, I, you know, it was right when the the new atheists were really popular. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, and I, my family always prized, you know, kind of like being critical about what you read and saw and and making sense of the world and being able to navigate the world um using your mind and stuff like that but they're also both ordained ministers like so like i had didn't have just like one you know pastor uh pastor uh parent i had two and and but i was i was saying you know the stuff that the new atheists are saying makes seems to make more sense of the world than um what um i'm being taught and what i'm being taught seems more like a fairy tale than a way that actually is validated by the world around me. And so I was like, am I going to have to choose between the part of me that can actually make sense of the world around me and actually has the power to um, make me make good of the world and and navigate the world um, or the stuff that, that I want to believe is true? Um, so I have this famous thing where I, 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 I say this all the time where I actually talk to God and I said, God, if you're real, pre-show me. Um, if not, forget I said anything. Um <laughs> and and the, after that, I considered an answer to prayer. My parents didn't know I was going through this because I was too not brave like Nathan to tell them I was um, going through that. Um, and they just started, you know, I was like, oh, Joseph would like this, introducing me to apologetics material and stuff like that. And so that's where I actually got to take a no, deep dive and actually show. And that's what you said. You know, people don't want to hear this, but, you know, you actually have the most trust in something that you've actually tested. And having, you know, somebody give mm-hmm. you, just tell you, believe this, it, it's it's much less secure for most people. And this is why, actually, so I will I will shut up in a moment, but like you talked about the statistics, what's fascinating is in that same Barna study, what they say is that 52% of Christians say that struggling with their faith made it stronger. It's a minority mm-hmm. of people who say that it caused them to leave their faith, that it may, or that it made it weaker. Um what the difference is that and also among like evangelicals 92 percent you know it made their faith stronger and under practicing christians who go to church regularly it's like 87 percent made it stronger it's only really people who are not connected to their church communities where that uh, uh questioning their faith makes makes it weaker or may cause it to lose their faith so to me this is like christians have gotten this wrong for it's just like is that when mm. the thing that you need to be worried about the last thing you should do when somebody's doubting is chase them away because mm. because the thing that's actually going to cause them to leave their faith is not their doubts it's going to be not being a part of a christian community so like you've done a lot more re- this is a, a, us you know kind of having our experiences and our working through this but you done you've done like r- made this your deep dive so what about this that we've said, like, you know, resonates with you and what, what are, how would we unpack all this kind of that, that, well, my goodness. And, and I'll add to this too, because you're a pastor, you actually have encountered people 
you preach with people, talk with people. What have you seen yes. that this subject uh, has had an effect on the real world in people's hearts? I'm, I'm curious and how it all kind of connects. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a thing right now. Um, the last few years, especially, we've seen a rise of, you know, hashtag deconstruction. Yeah. <laughs> you go online on social media, TikTok especially, where people are posting their deconversion stories, deconstruction stories, leaving the faith, walking away from the faith. Washington Post said that we now live in a secular age. New York Times just did a, a report on this a few months back, talking about how this is kind of the new new atheism movement, where you know a decade ago or so, you have Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Chris Hitchens, others who were making these you know very pointed arguments against faith, and now we're kind of seeing maybe it's latent. Some of the seeds that were planted are now coming. To fruition. Um, I think that's an interesting uh, question to ask, but we're certainly seeing for a number of reasons, um, especially with Gen Z, um, a more active vocal uh, expression of doubt and faith. I mean, we get emails all the time from people who are like, help, I'm losing my faith or I've been disillusioned by the church. I'm not sure you know, what to do with science versus faith. Which one should I choose? But you guys said something really interesting where what, I, what I'm seeing now is not so much the uh, analysis of, but they're pretty spiritual. And, you know, when you look at the stats, deeply fascinated yeah. with the person of Jesus. Um, I'm, so I'm seeing in, in this whole movement, a, a deeper longing, uh, desire, um, a, a thirst for justice, a, a thirst for uh, for Jesus presence in, in the world. And I think that, you know, it's a great cause to, to have hope. Um, but for us in the space we're in right now, we're just trying to walk with people through their seasons of doubt and deconstruction. And one of the most important things I think we can help people with is like not only normalizing doubt, um, I think we could get into the theology of that, which I find fascinating, whether we take our theology of doubt from Genesis 1 or Genesis 3, but also realizing the Bible gives space for it. And the Bible actually says we're to show mercy to, to those who doubt, uh, Jude verse 22. And what's interesting about that word mercy, um, I think it's the word elios in the original language. It means to repair a broken bone. Um, wow. So what the Bible actually says for those who are doubting is that they're in a place of tremendous pain, uh, mm. uh, heartache, grief. And like you said, it's not so much the questioning of the existence of God, but the goodness of God. Mm. Um, and what they need in that moment is not more bullet point answers or here's a huge stack of apologetic books, as helpful as those things. <laughs> <laughs> what, they, what they really need is presence. I think one of the yeah. most powerful things we can say to someone who's doubting is, I will love you through this. And helping provide that relational space uh, to say, hey, let's wrestle with these things together. And that is the culture of scripture. That is the culture of our of, of the Christian story. Um, now, of course, that ebbs and flows at different points in history, but certainly when you go to the Bible, that was the kind of culture God uh, wanted to create from the very get-go, wrestling with Jacob, who became Israel, he who wrestles with God, to the book of Exodus, when God says, um, when your children ask you these questions, here's how you to dialogue with them. God, God says from the very get-go, I want you to be inquisitive and thoughtful and curious and learn and ask questions. And that kind of culture, you don't necessarily see in different cultures of the world. Um, the yeah. Greeks, you know, they said children should be quiet and unquestioning. Or Plato, you know, he once said that children nowadays are so talkative, they need to shut up. <laughs> The Victorians, like children should be seen and not heard. 
Um, so whereas other cultures, and certainly you look at American evangelical subcultures of you know the late 80s, 90s, early 2000s, even today, sadly, that have sought to quash uh, curiosity, God's heart is, hey, I want to encourage it. I want you to ask questions. Let's probe, think, imagine, dream together. And, and I love what you said, Nate, about your mom, because the story is Isidore Isidore or science. And someone once intro, uh, interviewed him and they're like, hey, why, why are you successful? What, what do you attribute your success to? And his answer was brilliant. He said, it was all because of the way my mom greeted me when I came home from school. Because most mothers, he said, would ask the question, did you learn anything today? But his mother, Rabbi's mother said, did you ask any good questions today? Mm. And he then points back to that and he says, that's what made all the difference. That's where I attribute my success. And what your mom, you know, her response to your season of doubt, I think is the kind of response we need to have as followers of Jesus with those who are in our life, who are wrestling, uh, not doubt, not, not condemnation, not marginalizing, but okay, let's, let's wrestle together through this. And actually your doubt can be the very thing that leads you to a, a more authentic, beautiful, even purer form of faith. Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm liking so much of this, especially as we're kind of, we're honing in on this definition of yeah. doubt. And I think that's a really important thing is if anyone who listens to the overthinkers knows that we get really persnickety about definitions. What are <laughs> yeah. we exactly talking about? And I think a lot of people have this idea and probably a guilt associated with it, that doubt um, means ever not just having blind faith. And I think that's yeah. something that you find in many subcultures. You know, if, if many people know who listen, um, I love the study of cults. And one of the first things that cult leaders um, do, and kind of one of the tenets of almost every cult that you can see across the past 30 to 40 to 50 years, is one of the things is they discourage doubt. They yeah. discourage questions. They don't engage mm. with questions. Mm. And it seems to me, in my in my anecdotal evidence of, of studying many cults over a little while, that that typically is the beginning of the end of the cult, why it falls apart, mm. because you'll have a member who says, yeah. well, what about this? Are we sure about mm. X? Are we, do, do we need to do this? And instead of engaging with their mm. questions, uh, what they do is they shut them down. And that kind of starts the unraveling of these cultish mm. communities. And <laughs> I'm not saying that we should all uh, join a cult and just a better one. But what I am saying is that I think that, uh, like, I can't remember who pointed it out, but that a definition of doubt is really testing. testing one, two, three. Can anybody hear me? Something. It, it yeah. really comes with questions. Yeah. And I think that questions about God means you're engaged with God. Yeah. Yeah. And you brought up the, the, um, uh, the, the, the study that says that Gen Z are, yes, less religious, less going to church, but they're fascinated with the person of Jesus. And then there's questions being asked. And I think that's a really good thing. You know, when, when a kid, when a toddler, right, is asking about the world, that's all yep. new to them. Mm -hmm. um, we, we encourage that because that's how they go about learning about the world. And I think that a lot of what we call doubt is simply people asking real questions that they mm. actually want answers to. And as soon as we shut that down and say, whether it be a church community or ourselves, if we start shutting ourselves down from asking questions about God, about life, about humanity, about ourselves and existence, we are supposedly supposed to be engaging with, you know, testing, I think is an another part of doubt is sometimes what you find when you doubt 
let's say you you doubt kind of this uh, a ball of ideas right an ideology is when you doubt sometimes you'll find it's kind of like stepping on a rickety bridge you'll find which um yeah. which boards will crack and maybe shouldn't have been there in the first place so it's good to get rid of those boards and the which boards can hold mm. your weight and yeah. so you start kind of um shaving off the things that maybe ought not to be there. And I think that a lot of us in evangelical culture, a Catholic culture, or even atheist culture, if there is such a thing, um, I think a lot of us are trying to, to get to the center of what truth is. And sometimes it can be so buried deep um, beneath these tertiary things that shouldn't be a part of what it is. And I think that doubt can start that process of pulling apart the things that don't have any business being there that, Oh, maybe God isn't like that. Or maybe to be a Christian that doesn't have to look like that, or maybe to be religious. I don't need that. And you get to the real, the, the yeah. source of what it is, but I love kind of understanding even the word doubt in, more in the colloquial sense yeah. Yeah. Um, as something that's not just inherently negative, mm -hmm. but actually yeah. is good. And Joseph, before I throw it over to you, it's also interesting to me, I meant to say this earlier, when you were giving your intro, you said that two thirds of Christians admit to doubting. Yeah, That actually seems super low to me. That means there's a third <laughs> of people who have never questioned their faith. And maybe it's just because we're overthinkers. And so our, our community tends to really ask questions about everything. But that kind of blows my mind that you could believe something without ever asking questions, ever doubting, ever testing it. So that's we also interesting to me. We also have to take into account that Many of those people could be lying um, because they don't want to admit. That's doubting. true. It's kind of like the old yes. statistic, yeah, yes. about, about men, which yes, I will exactly. not mention here. Which but yes. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, like ninety-seven percent say that they do this, and three percent might be lying. You know, is the uh, yeah three percent are lying exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I, well, I think so. So I want to just kind of break down, kind of where we've gone in this conversation. I think is really interesting. One that like this this definition of doubting is testing. It's like okay. Can what I say I believe does it match up with reality? Can it can it withstand the testing of reality? Like science is like okay, can this belief I have about the world stand up against reality? And there's a reason that we want to do that because we walk in reality every day, and if our beliefs don't aren't conducive to reality, we're going to get hit by you know we're going to fall into a pit. You know, um, it's and yes. so. There's a reason we want we want to make sure what we believe matches reality. And so questions are our doubts are a way of testing that to see if reality. So that makes so that's a good definition of doubt and why it can be a good thing. And we've also shown that we talked about how um we need don't, you know, religious people don't need to be afraid of it because you know, most people become stronger. They only don't become stronger if they are not connected to a community that they can work out these um doubts with. We talked about you talked about a lot, Dominic, about <clears throat> how we should treat people you know, who are doubting, I guess, you know, sort of, I have sort of questions now about, I know you've talked about how the Bible actually, most of the heroes of the Bible are engaging with God in, in experiences of doubt, like, you know, like Abraham, like, you know, who negotiated with God, Moses, who, you know, talked back to God, you know, Habakkuk, I guess is, you know, who, who was constantly asking God questions. So most of the patriarchs are doing that. So there's this great tradition in Christianity of doing that. So I guess sort of my yeah. kind of questions would be like, oh, what do you see as being the big questions and doubts that people having that are causing all of this rise in doubt um with God right now? Mm. Um and 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 I guess, you know, or what even what have been your doubts, the struggles with God, if you want to go there? Um, yeah, and 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 why I guess well, I guess let's start there. What what are the things that you're seeing people well, go and through? And right I'll now? add something on yeah. that as we're as we're closing 
Yeah. And on the end of Joseph's question, I'd love for you to give anyone listening right now who is struggling with doubt, who's maybe feeling shame about doubt, Mm. who who is going through that process and experiencing that cloud or or that that context or presence, what would you say to them? So yeah. Oh my gosh. Joseph's question and just finish with a little (laughs) advice. Absolutely. Oh, well. Yeah, I think, you know, my mind is to Psalm 73, where David says, we sing it, we chant it, whatever, um, it's in our sermons. Um, but we often miss verse two, where he said, as for me, my feet almost slipped. <laughs> um, be, that would be interesting to include that in some worship songs, because he talks about this tremendous dis- disorientation. You know, Nietzsche talked about that, um, the, the closer he got to a form of nihilism, the more it was like this up, everything was upended in his life. He said, if you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares into you. So there's, there's an incredible disorientation, a, a pain, a vertigo of the soul um, that happens when we doubt. And and I think all of it kind of has its source back to, is God good? Is is he who I thought he was? I think C.S. Lewis is apropos here when, you know, his initial book on the problem of evil and suffering, you know, he's putting forth this tremendous theodicy, um, but then he went through grief himself <laughs> and wrote a grief observed later on in his life where basically he's like, I don't even know anymore. You know, he said, I came to the door in prayer. There was no one there. Um, he, he calls God the great iconoclast. Um, my view of you is being disrupted. And for Lewis, the big issue was, is God who who I thought he was. Um, can I trust his character? So truly God is good. Okay. That's what I learned. Psalm 73 one, but as for me, my feet are slipping. I'm in a space right now where just lost someone or, you know, going through a season of mental health struggles or emotional health struggles, or, you know, someone's walking through the, you know, uh, a friend who, you know, is suicidal and they're trying, how do I figure this out? or they're going through divorce or whatever. So, so many things are feeding into the, to the source of doubt or questions about the Bible, the weird parts of the Bible, the violent parts of the Bible, disillusionment with the church, the list goes on. But I think all of it kind of boils down to, is God who I thought he was? Is he good? <laughs> um, can, I, can I trust him? And, and this is where, again, for me, there is so much hope because there in this moment, there is also a tremendous thirst for the person of Christ, because in Christ, we actually learn who God is mm-hmm. and his character, his nature, his goodness, his beauty, um, his love. And one of the beautiful things about following Jesus is the way he fostered the life of the mind and heart and soul, the way he created and forged disciples was through the asking of questions, you know, 300, mm-hmm. over 300 times. Uh, Jesus asked his disciples questions. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Or I think of the first question of the gospel of John, what do you want? Um, I think, by the way, that's a really good question yeah. uh, for the, for those who maybe are in a space of doubting or actively mm. deconstructing. What do you want? Where where do you want this to go? What What is fueling this? What mm. would you like the outcome to be? I think that question can lead in all sorts of interesting ways. Yeah. Uh, uh, another question Jesus said is, you know, what do you want me to do for you? Or do you love me? Or why do you call me Lord? Or why are you afraid? Or who do you say I am? Over 300 questions. And the beauty of questions is that Jesus was forcing his followers to open up within their own assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, not only what is it you believe, but why do you believe it? And, you know, to deepen their sense of conviction. You know, think of um, the philosopher Michael Novak, who said, Essentially, there are three forms of conviction. There's the public conviction, which is what you say you believe, even if you don't really believe it. You know, I think of 
politicians, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Then he said there's private conviction. And this is where I think it gets a little deeper, more personal, um, because a private conviction is what you think you believe. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Or maybe in the heat of the moment, you may genuinely feel that you believe it, but when circumstances change and the feelings change, the convictions change. So there's public conviction, what you say you believe, private conviction, what you think you believe. But then he argued there, there's a, a third, the deepest form of conviction is core conviction, what we do with what we believe, which, which actually translates into how we live. And I think that's what Jesus wants from us as disciples is, okay, how do we move from a place of just private conviction? Yay, God, God is good. I go to church once a week to core conviction. Yeah, I have some happy feels about this uh, to now. This is something core to the essence yeah. of who I am. And that process is painful. Again, we go back to this analogy of, you know, to repair a broken bone. It's, it is difficult. That is a Nietzschean kind of uh, vertigo of the soul. Um, Deeply, deeply painful, but it's how our faith grows. It's how our faith becomes our own. And I would just encourage anyone who's in that space of deconstruction, I'd say, first of all, this can be a really healthy and good thing. Um, but it's not a it's not a destination. Like you yeah. can't really make deconstruction a destination. Um, you know, I think of the life of Pi. Right? There's that line about you know it, it, it's it's a good path to walk down, but you you don't want to through. Yeah. And what if in that process God is moving you to a place of you know settled certainty yeah. um, to deep abiding trust? Again, I think back to Lewis who said. Uh, I think one of his most masterful books, uh, "Till We Have Faces." He would. Agree uh, he with said. You. He yeah, said. <laughs> he 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 said. Uh, I now know, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Before your wow. face, all questions die away. What other answer would suffice? And, and wow. what I, what I see with Lewis and others who have really wrestled with God and had their own dark night of the soul, as Saint John of the Cross said. Um, there, there's a, this movement of, okay, here are all my answers to now. I don't know what the answers are. You're the great iconoclast, but I still, am going to trust you. Mm-hmm. I, where else can I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Um, and I think there's something beautiful to be in that gritty place of maybe you don't feel like you have all the answers, but you've encountered true faith, true presence, true authenticity in those moments of wrestling with God. And one of the points you made, which I think could be a whole other topic um, conversation, but it's it's vital, the importance of doing that in community. Because I think where doubt can go wrong, where doubt can become toxic to our faith is when we're trying to do it alone. Um, But when we're with others who can walk with us in a a firming, loving space, um, that makes all the difference. Yeah. And uh, that's what Jesus did with his disciples. And and I'd say to anyone who's in that space of doubting, maybe you are in an unhealthy church culture. Maybe you have some friends who are all about the certainty aspect, um, but there are people out there who have gone through their own season of doubt and struggle and turmoil and encountered a, a deep abiding presence of God. And they can be of tremendous yeah. help with for you oh, through yeah. the season. There's at least three of them. And there is <laughs> yes. a podcast you can yes. definitely listen to. <laughs> there is at <laughs> least three. That, I, I, Dominic, that I, was... love, I love I love that. Yeah. You know, if you're if there's somebody in your life who's doubting, don't chase them away. And if there's somebody, and if you're doubting, don't do it on your own. I think that that's that's amazing 
brilliant advice. Thank you so much. Uh, and also, I'll just before we jump into um, to to blessings and curses. If you are going through this and you need some sounding board, write us a message. We'd love Please. to hear it. Yes. We encourage questions. We are not scared of doubts and you are welcome to explore those. And uh, we, we love getting your messages. There's nothing so, that you are a... going through and you're doubting that we haven't already done. So, well, maybe there's a few, yeah. but there's, but mostly this. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And all you can talk to Dominic. Yeah, but you're in good his... company. We're, yeah. we're a bunch of Thomas doubters here. I doubt that. So this is a perfect segue into blesses and curses which we are going to recommend some um some resources or movies and we're also going to uh tell you ones too that maybe didn't grasp it as quite as well as we wished and wasn't weren't quite as um as uh, uh insightful as we had hoped so that's a nice way to say it yeah, we're gonna curse go. something go. but uh yes. um but yes cool. yes all right so uh 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 dominic you we always give uh our guests the opportunity to go first or last um, so where, or, or to abstain if you'd like, but, uh, you're welcome to join. Uh, so do you have any blessings and curses you'd like to offer? Well, the first will be last. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> okay, go <last>. good. <laughs> I'm actually really excited. Cause I know that two people, Joseph and Dominic have at least on their list, the same thing. So I'm curious to see if they if they both bless it or one person <laughs> blesses and one person curses, cause this will be really interesting. But in, in that case, I'll jump in and go first. Um, because I love going first. Um, <laughs> so I have a couple blesses and actually Dominic, you already mentioned it. You, um, you beat me to the punch. I was going to bless, uh, a lot of people know, I hesitate to say my favorite book, but one of my very favorite books is a grief observed by CS Lewis. Mm -hmm. And I wish I was cooler and said something like Aquinas or something. But <laughs> when I read grief observed by Lewis, it was at just the perfect time in my life. I always tell people wait until the right time. You'll know it's when the right time to read grief observed. Mm -hmm. And I read it in a time in which I was dealing with grief and dealing with mm -hmm. darkness and doubting God's goodness. And to read a book by, uh, by a person who's known to be a, a famously a believer. Yeah. And it wasn't a book like, like many now that just kind of wanted to fix my problem. Well, here's how to stop doubting. Here's instead uh, the author Lewis reaches down, walks with me through that. And it was such a beautiful um, experience and reading grief observed as I was going through grief. And this is not a book with tons of answers. It's not going to tell you, okay, this is how to fix this. This is a book that will walk with you through your experience of doubt and struggle with God. And it just says, the opening paragraph is one of the most beautiful um, passages I've ever read in a book. Um, I actually did it as a monologue years ago in acting class. I kind of switched on the words around, but use it because it's so good. Oh my gosh. Um, and then I'm going to bless because I'm a huge uh, suck up. I'm going to bless our guest's book. When faith fails, I think we need, you know, we have Lewis and he was uh, some decades ago and we need more books dealing with this right now. And I weirdly enough, even though this is a hugely prevalent um, issue right now, and I don't see enough resources of Christians, particularly in, in um, religious when I pick end is terrible. I don't think so. Um, but if it is, you know, sorry, everybody, but I'm going to bless when faith fails. So please grab our guest book. Um, it, Amazon and where books are sold, especially if you know, or are someone dealing with doubt and as good as Lewis is, it's so nice to know that people are still dealing with this. People today can speak to uh, today's unique perspective on um, people going through yeah. these questions. So please pick it up. It's a fantastic book. So those are my blesses. Uh, you and you and C.S. Lewis, how does it feel, Dominic? Oh, gosh. 
he should be honored. Uh, yes, right. Yeah, yeah. That's the right attitude. You're yeah, in the right place, exactly. sir. Um, so I'm going to. Uh, I, wait, in. I have. Wait, wait, wait. I have my curses. Oh, dang it. You're right. Great. Curse. Curse things. So. So my curse, I'm, I'm more excited for these. I'm more excited to curse something. It's always more fun to curse things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was a documentary. Oh, this is probably 10, 15 years ago. And it's called Jesus Camp. And Jesus Camp came out at a time when it was, well, I mean, it's always popular to make fun of um, uh, religious people and people who believe. But it was this documentary that everyone was talking about at the time. And it still gets brought up in actually a lot of discussions that uh, it followed a few different sects of Christianity and and admittedly, they are nuts. Many much of what they show in the documentary are Christians acting like crazy people. And essentially, the the conclusion was because there are some people who act crazy, that means you shouldn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. And to me, that seems like poor logic. It's just not a a congruent logical river for me. I, I mm-hmm. you know. If I watched it when I was young, I was like, wow, should I be should I still be a Christian after seeing all this? And it's kind of an emotional response. Well, yeah. because someone else is bad, then anything they have to do with must be bad too. I don't want to say the same lunch lot. table with them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But that doesn't actually deal with is it true? Is it good? Yeah. Is it right? And just and I, you know, I think if you look at pretty much any group of people, yeah. you're gonna find some crazies. And I think it's it's kind of what I see um a lot of documentarians do, picking an extreme a sect of something to sh- and applying it to the entirety of the yeah. group. And um, it was a well-made documentary. I can give it that. I'm cursing more on the, the logic is because there are some crazy yeah. people who call themselves a part of this group, you shouldn't, then it must yeah. be applied to every person. So I guess that was a frustrating as I revisited it recently. They, it was a frustrating watch. There's the, um, they, what you call it? Um, they, they fell into the logical fallacy of not picking. Is yes, what, as they say. Um, exactly. And I do have, one more curse, and I'm uh-huh. so sorry, everyone. Uh, if you're a fan of Christian films, um, it's okay. My mom likes this one, so you're in good company <laughs> if you do like it. But, but um, War Room, uh, it, was, it was a incredibly uh, popular about the power of prayer, and I, I guess I kind of curse this on the opposite side from the Christian side. Which is basically, if you ever have any doubts or problems, all you got to do is um, say a prayer and everything will get solved. And I mm-hmm. think that most of us living as adults in the world know that that's not true. And I think those kind of movies and messages actually cause people to doubt and leave and walk away more. Mm-hmm. Because it's not dealing honestly with the doubts, with the realities of life. It's basically mm-hmm. saying Jesus is magic. And if you say the right spell, you'll get a Harry Potter, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so I, I did have a lot of frustration watching this movie because it seemed to imply that any doubt you have um, can immediately be resolved with a prayer and any problem in your life can immediately be resolved with kind of some magic words. And I, and I don't know if that's a good or accurate or even healthy picture of God that people should be given and attach themselves to. So those are my blesses and curses. Sorry, everyone, if you're offended. I love Um, that you guys do this. It's amazing. (laughs) I'm going to hear about this from my corner of the world too. Yes. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Um, so uh, uh, if you want to have a longer discussion about that movie, we actually do it in the what 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 should Christian films do differently podcast. You can have you can watch. We have a That's whole discussion right. yes. about war. Room it's a one. it's an extensive list. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it, really yes. Is. It, it really is. We haven't done one of those episodes in a while. We should do something uh, around that soon. Um, OK, yes. So, right. I'll try to get through mine quickly. Uh, it's a documentary that just came out last year. I just saw is going to be my bless. It's called Send Proof. And. 
it is about a a, a sort of an, a Pentecost, a sort of intellectual young millennial Pentecostal filmmaker who actually is having doubts about um, the beliefs of his church and about, you know, the healing, the miraculous healings that are such a big part of that. And he tries to go around and see if there's any way to prove medically, prove objectively that these miracles are happening and aren't just, you know, in people's heads. He's like, is that a, is there a way to do that? And he it does it does a great job going on that journey. He interviews atheist skeptics. He interviews, in fact, including famous ones who like I forget his name, but he famously exposed a fraudulent healer preacher back in the uh, back in right, the old right. timey days. Yeah, and he interviews you know um, you know uh, Pentecostal like you know healing Christians like like um, Bill Johnson at Bethel, and he does go these and he's he and but it also like organizations that are going around actually trying to. Um, uh, to see if they can prove medically that a miracle has occurred. And what I really loved was just his the affirmation that this is a good thing, that wrestling with these questions and actually trying to treat this as something that can and should be uh, wrestled with in a, in a logical, objective way, and um, that intellect is not the enemy of faith, that process, and even again, not needing to come to conclusion, uh, the like the right conclusion at the end. It is like a look. We're still exploring this. We're still testing this. Um, but they really do take this idea seriously. And again, as somebody who <laughs> I have my own questions about some of the kind of you know the the modern day miraculous healing and listening to the Holy Spirit, you know, and things like that, I have real questions about that. I felt that this was a documentary that got. But I have friends at, who are really into it. It's like I felt like this was a very respectful documentary while really being asking the hard questions and being probing. So I would highly recommend anybody watch that um, who's interested at all in these subjects. Um, okay, and then I will go on to my two curses. I'm going to briefly curse um, the um, what was it uh, uh, the, the movie of uh, A Grief Observed. Um, just There's because... a movie? Yes. I thought there was one. No, I have no it's, idea. It's got, what's this guy? You're not talking about Shadowlands, are you? Yes, Shadowlands. Not Shadowlands. Oh, yes. okay. Yes, I'm Shadowlands. Oh, that. but yes. okay. And so it's a movie I, I, kind of around the death around of Joy that, Yes. Oh, well, the thing is, what I don't yeah, yeah, like yeah. about what I don't like about it is because they end implying that C.S. Lewis became an atheist. You know, that's that's how they that's how they mm. end it. And so they fall into Sli this slightly prob problematic. Yeah, and so they they fall into this problem of saying that faith and reality and experiencing reality are opposite things, which we know statistically is not true. And we know logically is not true, but they want to leave it that way because that's what they most resonate with. And so like, I, I find that that's, it gets across a bad exploration of what reality is actually like um, in this topic. Mm. I will also and not say historically accurate, historically inaccurate. Yes. It's like, this is a real person you're talking about and this didn't happen, you know? Um, <laughs> um, then finally I will curse the movie silence oh <laughs> and i know all of my christian my my very intellectual cinephile christian friends are going to be hating on me for this but it's a movie that is really trying to explore faith and doubt in a serious way and i'll give it that and mm. it's you know it's martin scorsese so the shots are pretty um they go on a little too long but the shots are pretty um but i will the thing i didn't like about it is it deeply uh conflates um psychological manipulation with um deep theological um questioning because a lot mm -hmm. of what the the uh, people that the, you know that the the jesuits are are being kind of 
uh, questions about their faith and threatened about their faith by the rulers. And a lot of what the rulers are doing is not earnest theological questioning, but psychological manipulation. We can look at like the things that they do, you know, like giving false choices, but emotional false choices, you know, giving, you know, like not setting boundaries. Like, okay, if you make a particular, if they make a particular choice, you're responsible for that particular choice. All of these things are not theological questions. They're psychological abuse and manipulation. And yet the movie tries to, um, treat it as if it is those are the same thing and i think that's a deeply toxic way to look at um the to to think that if you are being psychologically abused that that is a uh legitimate um theological experience that you're going through oh my goodness all right dominic you're up yes, yes. well actually i had silence on the list of, of... <laughs> i'm in the minority so uh, like barely blessing i i <laughs> would i would actually i would actually agree with your your critique there um and who am i to dare uh step up against someone who is a film critic um, no i would absolutely agree i haven't thought of it that lens um what i did like about about silence and um first of all it is slow it's raw it's gut-wrenching yeah. um yeah, you know, graphically absolutely. describes the persecution that oh, um, yeah. the Japanese Christians went through. So, I mean, that's a lesson. Um, yeah. But what what I did like is it, you know, it's seen in the name, but it, it's this reoccurring theme of the deafening silence of God. Mm. And mm. I, which I think uh, the silence of God is um, one of the primary factors people deconstruct their faith. I think it's a kind of a subset of theodicy. Mm -hmm. In some sense, it's more glacial than than a traumatic event. Um, hmm. It's something that slowly gnaws at you and, and kind of eats yeah. at you year after year. Where is God? <laughs> and, and there's that line uh, in the book, which of course the movie is based on um, the, the book that recounts this story, um, where, where he says, what do I want to say? I myself do not quite understand behind the depressing silence of this sea, the silence of God, um, the mm. feeling that while men raise their voices in anguish, God remains with folded arms silent. Mm. And I, the reason I, I sort of bless this movie is because it, it, it really gives an insight to the pain, the anguish mm. of when we walk through those seasons of God, where are you? It's disorienting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's tremendously, painful i also appreciated too the artistic element of sure. it um absolutely and you know when it comes to curses um pretty much any <laughs> christian factor, although i hear there's a great one that's coming out uh oh by oh name. right yes uh <laughs> called bright sky yeah. yeah which i cannot oh, wait. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know i i, I think of like so much of the 80s 90s christian subculture that just didn't give space mm, yeah. for doubt um, it was all about those you know, very uh, bullet point answers. You know, yeah. here, here's a list. Of, I remember the book, 101 Reasons Why, you know, or answers to your yeah. questions. And again, yeah. there's space for that. And uh, there's the the life of the mind. We wrestle with those things. We see what others have said before us. Oh, important too. Like the, the Christian yeah. tradition has so many examples of this. I think, okay, here's, here's another bless. Um, H.G. Wells, The Country of the Blind, um, which it's a short story, but I think, again, it gets into the honest anguish of, of doubt and faith. You know, he's, of course, yeah. the, the Nunez, I think that it's based on Nunez, who is an Ecuadorian explorer 
Uh, he's summiting these mountains, then he slips and he falls down the side of a, a steep and snowy cliff. And, you know, he wakes up to one of the most beautiful, mysterious valleys, uh, in, incredible scenes he'd ever, ever seen in his, his life. And he starts to explore. And then he comes across a village and quickly discovers everyone in the village was blind and that had to do with what happened generations before someone got sick, they pass it on. And so mm. what you have is a group of people who had lost their sight and had actually lost the memory of what it meant to see the world. Wow. That was their reality. So Nunez shows up and he's like, he felt sorry for them and he felt compelled to try and share what the world was really like. He's like, you live in a valley that's hauntingly beautiful and exquisite in color and diversity. And he's describing the sky and clouds and stars. And he's telling them what it's like to watch the mountains, the sunrise. And they thought he was the deluded one. <laughs> They they, Interesting. they they mocked him. They interrogated him. Um, the village doctors even offered to take out his eyes to cure him uh, wow. from his madness, what they perceived as madness. Um, and then he starts to question himself. He's like, maybe, maybe I am the crazy one. And But to add to the story, and I, I won't ruin it for those who want to look into it, um, he falls in love with one of the village elders' oh, no. daughters. And he's like trying, yeah, he's trying to explain to her, no, it, it's beautiful. He's trying to tell her what it's like to see and that he's not insane. And she's listening kind of sympathetically to him, but, but, you know, doesn't really believe him. And then the village elders, they get together and they say, okay, th this is what it comes down to. If you want to marry her, yeah. you have to let one of our doctors remove your eyes so wow. that you can be cured of your madness. Otherwise, you won't be able to marry her, but you can keep your sight. So he's in this place of, okay, do I forgo my sight and gain the love and trust of this woman? Or do I keep my sight and run away? Um, wow. and what's really fascinating is, is there's multiple endings to the story. That's why I find it so beautiful. He actually wrote several different um, ways that it could have to read this. I know. Well, say the title of it again. Um, so for me, I, I bless that because I'm like... That uh, it's called the village, the country of the blind. By yeah, okay. H. G. Wells. Um, so the agony of of doubt, yeah. self doubt, uh, doubt about how we perceive reality, uh, the interaction of love and relationships, and, yeah. and how that can feed and foster doubt. Um, what is ultimate reality? So for me, it raises all of these kind of questions, and the fact that there's multiple endings, I just find so delicious. That's um, awesome. Because I, I think it speaks into kind of the the prism like yeah. beauty of faith um, and the the journey that we're all on Very, to, to try and yeah. discern who God is and what faith looks Absolute. like. Absolutely, that's so cool. Very Plato's cave. I'm rereading that and going, oh wow. Yeah, there's it's so many of the great philosophers' minds yeah. dealt with this. What is reality? What is true? And that's why they yeah. are great. And by the way, I actually appreciate both of your critiques of silence or or your your takes on silence. Yeah. I. Joseph has so much merit. I absolutely agree. And I also think, yeah. um, Dominic, that you're right. Unfortunately, there aren't Christian movies articulating yes. the reality of doubt. The passage you read mm -hmm. is absolutely beautifully written um, yep. line. That, and there's not many places in entertainment or even in books or movies where, um, especially when it comes to circular and faith, that we can engage yep. and have I, articulated the doubts and pain we i feel. think no I, I agree i think that you're like i still ultimately curse silence but you've definitely helped me to see why 
why people respond so positively to it because you're right it does mm. get across how it feels when yes you're doubting and there are like you said nathan almost nobody is doing that and articulating that experience so that's that's a fair yeah. that's that is fair um so awesome well this has been a fantastic so really fun. fun and really deep really good conversation i'm really so glad that you joined us today dominic um thank you so first of all if people want to get in touch with you want to write you a letter and say hey i'm doubting too or they want to get involved in in your material uh, where should they go what what do you want to plug for them yeah totally um our website is pursuingfaith.org i'm on social media at dominic doan uh, you can email me through through our website and yeah anyone who wants to carry on this conversation would absolutely love to and of course the the books and stuff are online barnes and noble amazon whatever so name the titles of those books so everyone has it in their mind yeah so uh, when faith fails finding god in the shadow of doubt and then the most recent one is called your longing has a name wow Uh, and that one came out about eight months ago okay wow oh that's fantastic all right thank you so much and of course nathan if people want to get in touch with you or us and i want to see the stuff great stuff you're working on where can they go well, first, if they want to get in touch with that, they can go to the overthinkersjournal.com. They can also join our private online Facebook group that has tons of fun memes. <laughs> That's what I'm selling <laughs> it now. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to nathanclarkson.me or search my name, Nathan Clarkson, on any of the socials. Fantastic. You can find me on any of the socials as well. Also, my website, josephholmstudios.com. You can also find my reviews where I ruin all of your favorite religious themed movies at uh, religionunplugged.com. Thank you so much uh, for joining, Dominic. Thank you all so much for listening to us. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Overthinking.